Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this is a bookend brought to you by Quail Ridge Books, Raleigh, North Carolina's trusted community bookstore. My guest today is Tom Vanderbilt. He is the best-selling author of Traffic, Why We Do the Things We Do and What It Says About Us, The Sneaker Book, Survival City, and You May Also Like. His new book is Beginners, The Joy and Transformative Power of Lifelong Learning, which is published by our friends at Knopf. Tom, welcome to the program. Thanks, Jason. Great to be here. Yeah, it's an honor to have you here. And Tom, before we get into the details of your book, I want to talk about timing. You wrote an essay on chess, and chess is sort of at the center of this book, Beginners. The game of chess has been at the front of many minds recently with the release of the Netflix series, The Queen's Gambit, a series which is, of course, an adaptation of a novel by Walter Tevis. This series, The Queen's Gambit, was the most successful limited series that Netflix has produced to date. Uh, People are stuck in their homes right now, but they are able to play chess, learn chess, and in some cases, rediscover chess via websites like chess.com. The U.S. Chess Federation has seen a record spike in new memberships. Tom, could you and your publisher have picked a better time to release this book? Uh, no, for, for once, my timing is actually good. Usually I'm really bad at timing, but um, yeah, it, it is really weird. I, I, this was probably going back four years that uh, first, you know, actually touched a, a chess piece. So I had no idea. Um, one thing that's interesting is, is kind of early on into my chess journey, I did pick up Walter Tevis's uh, amazing novel, The Queen's Gambit, which of course the show is based on and based on the recommendation of a friend of mine who, who's in the book world. And um I then, you know, started pushing that book on everyone I knew, uh, starting with my daughter and I as chess coach. Um, so it was, I, I was very excited to, when I heard, you know, sort of a rumor, you're also a little bit worried because you're, I think sometimes as a reader of a book that you, you love, you're, you're sort of protective of that, of that property and, and Walter Tevis is no longer with us. So who knows how that could have gone, but luckily, you know, it was, it was a pretty great adaptation and, and very faithful to the game of chess, just a side note, of course, Bruce Pandolfini and Gary Kasparov had had a hand in that. Um, but anyway, so yeah, it's it's amazing to see um, sort of a chess boom. But no, the, the only thing that could have been better, I think, is if uh, I were actually any good at chess. Um, <laughs> you know, there, some of your listeners may have seen the recent book by uh, Maria Konnikova about um, poker uh, mm-hmm. and becoming and how, how she became you know sort of a poker champion. Um, this is not that book about chess or anything else. I, I did not become a champion. I, you know, I'm okay on my on my day, but it, I have to put a lot of work into it. I don't have that much time. So long-winded answer there, Jason, but yeah, chess is everywhere. And it's, it's kind of exciting to see because for once I can be a little bit ahead of that conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Tom. And uh, listeners, if you are interested in reading a novel about chess beyond uh, The Queen's Gambit, I recommend The Defense, sometimes marketed as Delusion Defense by Vladimir Nabokov, uh, a very good one. Um, Tom, I've always been interested uh, in Zen Buddhist philosophies. I used to live in San Francisco where there's a big Zen Buddhist monastery. Um, A great writer, Dr. Hal French, the author of Zen and the Art of Everything, taught at my alma mater, the University of South Carolina. You write a lot about the concept of beginner's mind. Can you explain the concept of beginner's mind to our listeners as it relates to Zen Buddhism and your book, Beginner's? Sure. Yeah. And I wouldn't make any claims to be, you know, any sort of authority on, on Zen Buddhism. I mean, it's very intriguing uh, philosophy to me. And that particular precept, Beginner's Mind, which uh, had come from uh, 
Shunru Suzuki, if I'm not uh, butchering the pronunciation from a book that he wrote, um, which is basically this, this notion that I, I think we would all sometimes like to get to and would be very uh, useful for us to be able to tap into, but this notion of basically seeing the world again like a child, freeing the mind from a lifetime of preconception and habit and, and getting back to some sort of restart, reboot state that, um, you know, is, and what are the benefits of that? I mean, you know, for me, it just felt incredibly sort of exhilarating, let, let's say, is, is the immediate thought that comes to mind. You're, you're, you've been sort of, I've been doing the same thing professionally for three decades. I, I, I love it. I, lo I love writing. But, uh, you know, in terms of new challenges or, or, or seeing the world from a beginner, I, I can't really do that with writing. I mean, I could try to sort of start writing free verse poetry or something that might make me a beginner. Um, but, you know, so how can I become that beginner? One of the easiest ways, and there, there are many paths toward this, but would be to do something like try to learn a new skill where suddenly you really have no experience. You have, you don't have that lifetime of wisdom. You are put back into the same square as a child. And in, in the case of my book, it was literally that same square of chess. I, my daughter and me were learning the book uh, we're learning the game at the very same time. We're both beginners. So it, it, I think it's it's a very humbling um, experience and, and sort of energizing and just also empathic, I would say. It sort of puts you in the mind to appreciate those who are beginning something, learning something. I, you know, I, I get emails from young writers. I try to give advice, but to, to really feel that, what they're going through, I, I think that's uh, a sort of amazing perspective. And just the last thing is to have a beginner's mind. There could be sort of a you know cognitive benefit here too. There's interesting studies that when they give certain psychological tests, um, like the famous candle problem, you have to try to fix this candle to a wall using nothing more than a box of tacks and uh, and a candle and a match. Um, you know, children actually did better than young children did better than older children and even adults at this problem because they were able to. You know, adults sort of get hung up on the idea of the of the box of tax as just a container for the tax, not that it could be a shelf for the candle, things like that. So children didn't have as much what they call functional fixedness. Um, so beginner's mind, you know, again, gets you back to that state of looking at the world in a new way and, and who knows what, you know, what sorts of new opportunities or, or thoughts that might prompt. Thank you, Tom. Uh, I want to talk to you a little bit more about your decision to learn the game of chess with your daughter. Um, how old was she at the time and how old were you and what sparked your decision to learn the game at the same time as her? She was about three, probably going on four, and we were in a library on, on vacation and, and, you know, killing time and looking at books and things. And we saw a, a checkers, you know, board. So we started playing checkers, which was, which was fun. Uh, then there was a chess board nearby and you know chess is just a visually more interesting looking game number one there's all sorts of cool little pieces horses she called them um so she asked can we play that first of all she asked what it was i said chess you know can we play that i was like yeah i'd, I'd love to there's just one problem i actually don't know how to play the game i i had probably tried to learn it when i was young and just ne it never stuck there as everyone knows there each piece has its own series of specific moves that can seem very complicated. I mean, that's just the beginning. Of course, there's a world of strategy and tactics, but I just, I didn't even know the basics. So I said, yeah, but let's, let's do it in the future. So I tried, I went online like a lot of people do. And, and one thing that's been, that I try to make clear in the book is that the sort of digital revolution, let's say, and, and of course this last year during the pandemic is that the world of online learning has exploded. Anything that you want to learn can basically be, be learned often 
for free. And and chess has you know, benefited this from uh, massively. I mean, there are more. You could, I could spend the rest of my life just visiting chess websites, doing puzzles, doing lessons, watching videos. Uh, so that's also a bit overwhelming. I, I, so I, I sort of did learn the basic moves, tried to teach her. Then I, because it's such a, a complex game, I quickly felt I was over my head. So I thought maybe I could I could hire a coach. Then you know I thought well. I can hire a coach for her, but then why should I just sort of sit there and, and pay for it and, and watch or, you know, and do something else when I didn't really know how to play either. So I thought, well, here's a great chance we could both learn the same thing at the same time. And wouldn't that be sort of a funny little social science experiment with a, a sample size of two. Um, but it ended up being a re really interesting experience. And this is something that I don't think is, is talked about enough in the parenting world, the idea of learning something with your child at the same time, we're, we're expected to be parents are expected to be the, the authority, to be the ones teaching. Uh, I tried to research this topic online and I, I kept just being steered toward ways to make your kid learn better as if sort of the adult were not worth the trouble. And, and so yeah, I found that a very interesting experience because she was able to see me struggling to learn the same things that she was, which again, talking about empathy. And, and, and this is a, there's another great experiment I refer to in which Toddlers were, were shown uh, an adult role model trying to put together this, this sort of box. It was sort of a puzzle. And some people did it really easily and some people struggled. And when the, the toddlers who saw the person struggling, they actually spent more, were willing to spend more time trying to do it themselves than, the, than watching the adults who nailed it. They were sort of like, okay, well, that's not for me. So, uh, so there's something about you know, exposing that vulnerability, showing yourself doing the learning to your child that I think is immensely uh, impactful. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Tom. And um, can, can you talk to our listeners about the differences in the way the brain works and behaves when, say, a three, four-year-old child is learning a new skill versus when a, say, 40-year-old adult is learning a new skill? Sure. I'm sure, as all listeners realize, uh, children are very quick and, and sharp, and their brains are just filled with these synapses, these, these connections that are being forged, the, and the brain is just exploding with them. And they're, they're yet to be sort of pruned and trimmed, which is what happens as, as we learn. We sort of disregard the, the things we don't need to know. And, uh, but, but for a child, that, their whole mind is just you know, this sort of sponge soaking up everything. So my brain, on the other hand, I use the metaphor of you know, kind of a lightning fast flash drive to an aging hard drive that we all might have on our, our PC at home that has had decades worth of files stuck on there. And you can, you, you know, you've had this experience searching for something and you hear that clacking and that spinning. And that's sort of what the adult brain is doing is you're asked to recall a name of someone you met. You know, you're, you're going through every name you've ever met. So uh, the, the, the key way this breaks down is that children are very good at what's called fluid intelligence. That's the sort of puzzle solving, rapid, uh, analytical, Adults tend to have the edge on what's called crystallized uh, intelligence, which is sort of memory and wisdom and, and sort of metacognition, the knowledge of what you know. So in the game of chess, you know, my daughter was, was very good at spotting certain opportunities on the board in a moment. I was probably a little better at, you know, kind of the long game, kind of having the patience to sit through a long game and, and sort of being a little bit more aware of what my opponent was trying to do or that I even had an opponent. My daughter in the beginning would sometimes play as if she were playing alone. I, you know, I could just win this. I don't care what they're doing. Um, so so when you, each person brings their own set of things to the table. But um, the, the one 
key thing to, to note here that even though the adult brain does slow down and it's, it's in very measurable ways, this, this notion of plasticity, the idea that you can forge new connection, neural connections, uh, does not go away. And so that, that makes learning, uh, you know, it's not, uh, not an end game to use a chess term. It's something that can go on forever, basically. Uh, it, it doesn't mean that it's going to make the adult isn't going to have to push a little bit harder to learn the same thing that a child is when it comes to a skill. But uh, it, the news on, on balance is, is good, I think. Uh, so my, you know, I just played my daughter uh, in a blitz game, by the way, and she beat me. So um, a blitz game of chess, I should say. <laughs> so. Yeah, nice. Thank you so much, Tom. Um, before we head into our break, can you talk about the correlation between learning a new skill as an adult and stress? Yeah, there's been some interesting research showing that learning a new skill is, is a stress buffer. It can sort of, and yeah, I mentioned in my book, I didn't set out to learn these various things. I tried to learn singing and surfing and all these things and chess uh, for career benefit. And, and of course, there's nothing wrong with career benefit. I'm sure I could use some more of it myself, but you know, there's a, there's a whole space in your life for this other, other world, other beings that you have. And I, I think learning a new skill is important on its own, but it, it does seem to have these you know, ancillary benefits that can actually transfer back into your job. So this, this one study was, you know, sort of positing that learning these new things, challenging yourself outside of the job could bring this, this extra measure of resilience to the job. Not to mention, you know, new ways of looking at the world or just feeling better about yourself. And uh, there's, there's a great study I like, which comes from the, the great book uh, Range by David Epstein, which, which looked at Nobel Prize scientists who uh, the ones, they, they were 22 times more likely to have participated in some kind of amateur, uh, you know, pursuit, like, like a, especially performing arts. Uh, they were 22, 22, 22 more times likely to have done that than the non-Nobel Prize winning scientists. And this does not mean that if you take up dance lessons, you're going to win a Nobel Prize. But I think there's something there about how that, that sort of extra openness to learning new things, that that agility, that resilience that it may have built up, new ways of looking at the world, you know, sort of transferred back over into their work life and, and gave them uh, new insights. But at the end of the day, you know, that doesn't necessarily have to happen. It, it can just be, it can be fun. It can make you feel better. It can keep your brain agile. There's, there's endless numbers of reasons why you should pick up something new. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Tom. Listeners, we're going to take a short break for a word from our sponsor, and then I will be right back with Tom Vanderbilt. The Book and Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore, Quail Ridge Books. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a much different story. One that supports community. Listeners of Bookin can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter Bookin, B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'm back with Tom Vanderbilt, author of Beginners, The Joy and Transformative Power of Lifelong Learning, which is published by our friends at Nuff. 
Tom, I want to continue where we left off before the break and talk about the correlation between stress and learning a new skill a little more. A lot of folks are very stressed right now. There's a pandemic. There was just a huge election here in the USA. Uh, the holidays just passed. People are trying to work from home while they're at home with young kids who are normally at school. Or in many cases, people are at home without work in a stalled uh, consumer economy operating under a stalled government. Um, what are some good skills, Tom, for these folks who are stuck at home to learn in these particular circumstances? And how do you think the taking on of these new skills, hobbies, what have you, would help to alleviate the stress related to these specific situations? That's a great question. I mean, you know, obviously some of the things I took on like surfing aren't necessarily available to everyone, just geographically, although North Carolina does have some some very nice surfing down the outer uh, banks down there. But, um, you know, a couple of things that I've kept up with during the pandemic uh, are, you know, essentially the, the things that are in the book, uh, singing, chess, drawing. These are all things that, that lend themselves actually quite well to being at home and even having just a reduced sort of online presence. I was a bit skeptical when I did a, an online drawing class, but there were really some, some great things that came out of it and, and some new technologies and tools. For example, the teacher was able to sort of uh, look at a drawing I was working on, kind of put it onto her computer, use this you know sort of digital pen to write right over the drawing in a way that you couldn't actually do with a real drawing because you would you know sort of mess up the drawing. But um, so, you know, I'll, I'll just say that, that drawing uh, was, was immensely uh, rewarding and, and just something that I feel in this age when there's so many distractions and so many, uh, you know, which often are, are stress inducing to just sort of like turn off that phone, try to draw something like uh, an orange, you know, whatever, something around your house, it, 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 one hour, two hours, three hours. I mean, it, you could go on for a long time. I've, I've never felt such, you know, quite such a deep focus in my uh, adult life. Uh, and you know, just kind of walking away, just feeling as if I had been on some sort of, I, I don't know, some sort of vacation for my own brain or, or something. And just feeling, and I, I don't really do meditation per se, but I, I feel like I might've been tapping into some of those same states or qualities that, that people talk about there. So, uh, you know, even during the pandemic, I was always a bit skeptical for no real reason of, uh, of yoga. I, I was a, kind of a very athletic person, but just didn't think I, I needed it. But you're suddenly, you know, trapped in your house. Um, you know, there's, it's, it's a great way to just get, get some exercise, calm yourself, work on your breathing, which helps a lot with singing, it turns out. And lo and behold, there's a million sort of great resources on YouTube. Um, and some of these people like Yoga with Adrian or whatever have seen their channels explode because there's so many people. So, uh, you know, in, like I said before, it's a golden age for this online learning, which is one of the sort of uh, fortunate, uh, I don't know how to describe it, you know, things we had with us during the pandemic, that, that ability. It could have been, you know, it's lacking that. For many people, I think it was a valuable outlet, myself included. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Tom. Um, I would like to return uh, to your daughter for a moment. There's a moment in your book, Beginners, when your daughter encourages you to learn the game Magic the Gathering, a game that uh, in my mind is just as intricate as chess, though luck is perhaps much more of a determining factor um, in Magic. But you decided not to learn this game, though you write that the Dungeons and Dragons nerd in you was interested. Why did you pass on the opportunity to learn this particular game? 
Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, part of my particular situation, but I was, we were already learning a lot of things together, um, you know, surfing and, and singing. I was trying to do some drawing with her. And I, it just, I just got to the point where I felt, you know, the helicopter parent was was a bit, you know, over the top. So there, there's this great place called the Brooklyn Strategist, which is sort of a, a kid, teen, adult hangout where people play games like magic. And I, she was really spending a lot of time there. And I felt like she was, you know, developing her own kind of great, you know, sense of identity and friends. And they did have chess events there that I went to, but then she started playing magic. And, and like you say, I was definitely intrigued by the, the uh, just the whole quality of the game, the content. It, it did seem very complicated to me, but a lot of these things always do in the beginning. But yeah, I just felt like I, I needed to preserve some area where she was going through the stuff on her own and she would have to explain things to me as they happened to her, but I wasn't sort of always there hovering over her shoulder because uh, as any parent probably, you know, has experience going, as they get a little bit older, suddenly they don't want you around as much. And uh, so uh, anyway, I, I would have loved to have gotten into magic. It's definitely, there were some interesting looking tournaments going on there, but I, I decided to, to leave a little bit of, uh, uh, what's the word? Just, you know, it, just territory of, of her own. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Tom. I want to speak about age again, specifically learning a new skill at an older age, uh, but with the intention of mastering it. Our friend, the author Nathan Ballingrude, recently asked on Facebook if 50 is too old to learn how to play the guitar. Um, and it's not, Nathan, pick up that guitar. But is it possible, Tom, for Nathan to master that guitar can you talk about this prospect and if you don't mind also talk a little bit about the ten thousand hour rule sure and again yeah i, I would i'm not really an authority on mastery because I, I didn't get to mastery in any of these things but um you know i, I know i was just listening yesterday to a chess podcast as it happens about a, a guy also named nathan who uh you know he was playing in his 20s and 30s but is currently, I think, the senior champion, a U.S. chess champion, but also in his 40s, uh, maybe a little bit earlier, also began to take up opera singing. And, and he's sort of a paid performer, has played at Carnegie Hall. So, you know, he not only sort of picked up one major skill in, in adulthood, but two major skills. So I don't think, you know, the verdict is, is out and it's emphatic no or yes in either direction. I mean, the 10,000 hours rules, as referred to Anders Ericsson, the sociologist, said that you, know, you needed 10,000 hours of deliberate practice. And then there's a key distinction to make here, not just practice, you need to be really kind of the right kind of practice where you're carefully analyzing your mistakes and, and learning from those mistakes, not just sort of mindlessly bashing at the guitar for 10,000 hours. <laughs> um, but you know, this, this is often one of the things that stands in the way of adults and, and why adults think they can't get good at something. They think kids can because kids have those spare hours. Adults don't, I, I sort of joke in the book that I, I'd be lucky to have 100 hours to dedicate to a skill like guitar. Uh, so mastery, I'm not sure, but I, I, would, I would gather that in 100 hours, you could make a fair bit of progress uh, on guitar. And it's just a matter of, you know, do you have the time? Do you have the dedication? There's a maybe a bit of inherent skill there with you know, maybe you're a little bit more dexterous with your fingers, but it's, it's you know, how, how much do you want it basically? And uh, I, I would think, I don't have an example that jumps off the mind of someone who started at 50 and is now a master guitarist, but um, I'm, I'm sure someone is out there. I'm, I'm hearing from people already, the book isn't out, but I'm hearing from people who 
picked up rowing in their 70s and all, you know, all this other stuff. So I, I would say there, there's no scientific answer that says no. Absolutely. And I do want to ask you, is mastering a skill important? Uh, I recently interviewed Wilco's Jeff Tweedy about his book, How to Write One Song. And we talked a lot about the concept of making art for art's sake, not because you have to quote unquote win at art. Um, alluding back to the concept of beginner's mind, do you feel like there is a divide between the East and West on how to approach a new skill, that is on performing something for the sake of the performance versus performing something so you can win at it? And if that divide exists, how can we bridge it? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, one of the best pieces of advice I saw was uh, from Barbara Oakley in her book on, on learning, you know, is basically just don't focus so much on, on the goal, focus on the process, just, just enjoy and, and profit and, and learn from the learning itself, you know, sort of be in that moment. And, and this came up a lot in various things I was doing. One of the surf instructors I spent time with mentioned that he thought that, that women actually were in many cases better students because they sort of came to the discipline of surfing with less less of sort of a, something to prove. Uh, they had less ego invested. Men, he thought, just wanted to come out and you know sort of crush it. Say they could say they could surf after day one. Suddenly they were the you know the baddest person at the at the break. Uh, but you know women, you know I, you know I think this kind of speaks to maybe a you know a better sense of of cooperation and and willingness to learn and uh, to be vulnerable, to be empathic. Uh, I, I sort of note in the book that it gets harder for men to make friends as they age than women, according to studies. And, and one of the speculations there is that women are, are just more open. They're more willing to, you know, sort of let their, their ego, let their guard down. Uh, men find that a bit harder for whatever reason. So, and, and which is why I think many of the classes I was in seemed to be dominated by, by women. They were just more eager uh, learners and they're out there. So yeah, I, I, would, I mean, mastery is amazing. I, I, and I, I continue to work toward getting better at, at all these things, but I don't, I don't have aspirations of, or, or entertain things that I'm going to become some sort of, you know, professional in any of those things I'm doing. Um, but it's interesting to go through these next stages. Once, once you're not a beginner, then you sort of have to, you can't just let yourself off the hook with that notion. Like, well, I'm just a beginner. No one cares if I can do it or not. Um, you have to begin to own a little bit of your progress. And that's a whole interesting step as well. And you will find various plateaus as you go up and, and the challenge becomes ever greater to move past that next uh, plateau. Great, thank you, Tom. And finally, uh, I want to return to the game of chess and maybe um, how it's different learning how to play chess versus how to sing or draw or something like that. Because chess uh, is a game of skill, it is very black and white, which is to say there is a winner and loser almost every time, uh, something that is very apparent as a beginner. Martin Amos, who you quote in your book, wrote of chess, nowhere in sport, perhaps nowhere in human activity, is the gap between uh, beginner and expert so astronomical. Um, how does one keep a beginner's mind while also competing in a game with winners or losers such as chess? Well, that, yeah, that's a great question. Um, yeah, I mean, chess, unlike even other games, I mean, poker obviously you know, has an element of luck and there's a huge element of psychology. There, there can be some psychology in chess as well as you're sitting across the board from someone and they're, they're trying to you know, glare at you. 
Um, but there's no, nowhere really to hide in the game of chess. You can't say you were dealt a bad hand. Uh, the hand is the same for everyone. So um, there, there was a great piece of advice from a grandmaster who, who said, you know, I mean, there's a couple of cliches here. One is, you know, find the best move and then find a better one. I mean, so that you, with, with chess, you can, the beginner's mind notion comes up in that, you know, you, 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 something may look familiar to you and like, oh, he did that. I'm going to respond with this, but maybe you just take sort of sort of a 15 second break there. Uh, Daniel Naroditsky, a grandmaster, recommends closing your eyes, you know, sort of, uh, or just look away from the board for a minute, refresh your mind, look back at that board one more time. Did, did something else uh, just occur to you? Uh, the other piece of advice was from a, a grandmaster who said, you know, before you make a move, look at look at the move as if you were a beginner. I mean, because so, chess grandmasters accumulate this huge database in their heads of knowledge. They've seen every, not every, but they've seen many games. They've seen all the openings. They 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 know their own games like the back of their hand. They can play blindfolded. I mean, this stuff is so deeply ingrained that it gets hard to um, sort of step outside of that. And uh, yeah, chess. I mean, chess progress is is just immediately quantifiable as well. Something like singing is a bit a bit murkier, right? You don't you know how you sound a little bit. Um, there there's certain things you can do. There's an app I love called Pitch Perfect. You can sing scales into it, and it will give you a numerical score from one to a hundred on how you're doing. A hundred is perfect pitch. There's a little bit of quantitative stuff there, but you know chess. You have a rating. You're either eight hundred, you're fifteen hundred, you're twenty two hundred. You know exactly where you stand. I mean, ratings can be a little bit fluid. People have hot streaks and cold streaks in psychology, but um, yeah, chess, chess is, is just a great, you know, it kind of, there's nowhere to hide in, in chess. Um, in my, I joke in the book, in my choir singing, I could kind of like hide with the basses and lower my voice a little bit or even lip sync in the beginning, but you can't lip sync in chess. <laughs> Absolutely not. Thank you so much, Tom. And thank you for writing this wonderful book. It is the perfect book for the new year, the perfect book for 2021. And for anyone who is a fan of the game of chess or anyone who just wants to open their mind to the possibility of learning a new skill. Listeners, I've been speaking with Tom Vanderbilt, author of Beginners, The Joy and Transformative Power of Lifelong Learning, which is published by our friends at Knopf. Tom, thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. Thanks, Jason. Once again, I would like to thank Tom Vanderbilt for joining me. Copies of Beginners, The Joy and Transformative Power of Lifelong Learning can be ordered at www.quailridgebooks.com with free shipping. I would also like to thank our sponsor, Libro.fm Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space to get a free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this has been Bookin'.